0: Today we're going to be looking at love is humble. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 and 5. If you want to open up there, we'll we'll get to there in just a moment. And our principle today is pride comes before the fall, but humility is an act of love. Pride comes before the fall, but humility is an act of love. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 and 5 says, Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. All of this which stems from this thing we call pride. The Bible has much to say about pride and humility, and time will not permit us to go through all the verses uh, and do a full examination of all the scriptures. We will be going through quite a few, and so you actually may want to follow along on the screen here today uh, just so that uh, you can keep up with us. But the scriptures also have a lot to, to not only a lot, a lot to say about these things, but also there's some, uh, a lot of examples in the Bible concerning those who were called up in pride and they ended up paying a very large price because of their arrogance we have a few here that you may recognize if not i encourage you to go and look them up when you have the time but satan starts off our list here satan uh, he was uh, one of the top angels in heaven and he decided that uh, he was more worthy of worship than god himself and so he went to all the other angels there and wanted them to bow down and worship him. He wanted to be their God. And surprisingly enough, one thirty of the angels decided to say, hey, that sounds like a good idea. And so they uh, followed after Satan, and as a result of that, he was kicked out of heaven, and uh, he's here on earth, but he awaits eternity in hell with the rest of his angels. Satan also used pride to tempt Eve, uh, convincing her that uh, she was... Uh, deserving of more than what god had provided for her and as a result we have the fall of adam and eve and uh, by extension we have the fall of the whole human race we're all born sinners as a result of that maybe you're familiar with uzziah uzziah became king at the age of 16 and the bible says he did what was right in the eyes of the lord and he reigned for 52 years and as a result of that god blessed him immensely and he was blessed beyond measure but then one day he went into the sanctuary and uh, he decided he was going to burn incense, which is something that God had forbidden. And in doing so, the priests walked in and they saw him burning incense, and so they confronted him. And as a result of that, they thought that, 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 he, was, uh, that he was so you know, wrong for doing so, and he took offense to that. And because of his arrogancy, he got angry with them. And at that moment leprosy began to break out on his forehead and he was kicked out of the sanctuary and he lived the rest of his life in isolation as a leper. Haman, you may be familiar with him. He was the king's right-hand man and in that position he wanted people to bow down to him. He thought that uh, he was all that and, and people should worship him as they do their king. And he went to this one area, and there was a man there that that refused to bow down, and so he instructed him that he needed to bow down. This guy named was Mordecai. And Mordecai refused to bow down in his presence because he would only bow down to Christ, to, to the Lord. And so he takes offense to this. But he takes his offense to the next level, and he doesn't only want to wipe out Mordecai, he wants to wipe out the whole Jewish race. And so he builds these massive gallows in order to hang Mordecai on. But in the end, his plan was exposed. And he was the one that was hanged on the gallows instead of Mordecai. And later on, the scriptures tell us that his ten sons were hanged on those gallows as well. One more, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. But he was warned about his arrogancy and his pride by the prophet Daniel. In fact, God gave him a year to change his attitude. And one day he walked out on the balcony, he looked at all of his kingdom, he says, hey, look at all that I have done, look at all that I have accomplished. And as soon as he did that, God struck him down, and this great leader became as an animal, which was predicted by Daniel. Seven years he spent out in the forest, chained to a stump, eating grass as an oxen. You see, the Bible is full of examples of people thinking more highly, Than themselves than they really should and in doing so God has brought them down in fact this is exactly what the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 14 verse 11 it says for whosoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted this morning we're going to go and have a look at the pride of mankind and eventually we're going to contrast this with the humility of Christ But I want you to think about your relationships here today, and I want you to see if there's some areas in your life that uh, you see that maybe you need to address in your life here this morning. I want you to take a hard look at this morning, uh, at your life and your relationships, because pride is uh, something that could slip into our lives and our relationships, and it can ruin them. So first of all, let's look at the pride of mankind. And as you've heard, pride goes before the fall. I know many of you have heard that, and this comes actually out of the Bible. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, I'm sure you've seen the videos where there's some athletes that that are running a race or are in a race, and, and they get close to the finish line, and they go and they start celebrating, and they throw up their hands, and as they're celebrating, their contender sort of slips by them and beats them to the line. Can you imagine having to live with that? You know, oh, you could have won if you just didn't have so much pride, right? All of us can think of a time when pride got the best of us. I was uh, looking at a video the other day. Uh, somebody sent to me, and there was this little boy that was out on the baseball field. And uh, he was up there having a batting and ball, and he was saying, I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he would throw the ball up and swing and miss. I'm the greatest batter in the world. Swing and Miss. Well, a little girl was over on the side, and she was watching all this going on, and, and she thought maybe it might be a good idea for this uh, young man to be humbled a little bit. And so she came up behind him, and he was saying, I'm the greatest batter in the world, swing and miss, she and she would yell out, strike one! I'm the greatest batter in the world, swing, strike two! Threw at the ball, swing and miss, I'm the greatest batter in the world. She said, strike three, I guess you're not the greatest batter in the world, are you? he turned around looked at her his eyes got big a big smile came on his face he says i'm the greatest pitcher in the world <laughs> pride blinds sometimes people from seeing their own faults when couples come for counseling i'm amazed at when certain behaviors are justified and even considered normal Because of their pride, pride, they they don't take responsibility for any breakdown in their relationship. It's always the other person's fault. And as a result, their relationship fails. Pride also wants to be the best. Luke here gives us an example of this. In Luke chapter 14, verse 8, it says, When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. At least one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who has invited you and him come and say to you, "Give place to this man." And then you begin you being with shame to take the lower place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lower place, lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Now we're talking about pride here, but we're not talking about pride in your work or patriotism, pride in your country. We're talking about a selfish pride, always having to have the best of everything, always got to see, be, be seen better than everyone else, never being content with what you have, not wanting to be lower than others. In our example, we see uh, an individual always looking for the best seat to the wedding. But how embarrassing would it be to be asked to move so that somebody who is more important than you can take your seat. And then you have to get up and do the walk of shame to the lower seats. It's best to take the lower seats and be allowed the host to come and say, oh, no, 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 no! I want to put you in a place of honor. Michael and I, were visiting some churches a while back and this was when we were making a lot of changes here and the move and the two services and things and so we were... Going around, having a look at different churches and how they do things and see if we can glean some ideas and, and see how maybe the best effective way we can make these changes in our own church here. And we went to one of the churches and, you know, we spent some time looking around the lobbies and how they got everything set up and whatnot. And as we entered into the sanctuary, um, it was more like a theater. Uh, the, it was very dark, and, and uh, we were just planning on just sort of sitting at the back because we were really just there to sort of just view things and, and see what was going on and happening. But we had one of the ushers came up, and he had his flashlight. He says, two seats, okay, come follow me. You know, and we were like, you know, we're, we're happy to just sit back here. No, 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 you can't sit back here. You've got to come up here. And so he brings us all the way up to the front and puts us up in the sort of the front section right in front of the, the stage. And I said, uh, okay, all right, all right. So you know, he points out with the chairs that we're going to be sitting in. Great. Well, we're there, and, uh, and there's really nobody in that section. There was a lot of youth there, and they were sort of up at the front um, at the, the sta- front of the stage, and they had music going on, and they were up there uh, celebrating up front. Well, after a few minutes, we get a tap on the shoulder. I said, uh, sorry, guys, you can't sit here. It's like, well, we didn't want to sit here. We just asked to sit here. And uh, I said, no, no, you can't sit here. This, this is uh, reserved for, for the youth there. You, you're going to have to sit back here. And so they went and moved us uh, in the back section, which is uh, uh, where we wanted to go in the first place. But obviously, we weren't all that important because we got moved to the back section. Now, uh, I didn't feel bad about that. That's okay. It didn't really bother me. But can you imagine somebody who's very prideful, a very prideful person wanting to come in and sit in the good seats and then be tapped on the shoulder and say, oh, by the way, you can't sit here. I would imagine they probably would have just taken, taken off and uh, gone and find some place else to worship. They were offended by not getting the best seat. But pride can also cause ungratefulness. In Deuteronomy 8, 11, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I have commanded you today. Least when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwelt in them, and when your herd and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, And all that you have is multiplied. What's this? Listen. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. How many people have fallen when they've come to the top? They've reached the top, they've fallen. They may have come from humble beginnings. But when they got their heart's desire, they forget where their blessings come from. I've seen individuals over the last 20 years in ministry that have climbed the corporate ladder. They've climbed the corporate ladder, and it seems like the farther they get up the ladder, the more we don't see them at church. The farther they get up the ladder, the less they're involved in their own spiritual growth. And they prayed and they asked God for a promotion, they wanted God's blessing. I remember going to them and they're coming to me and saying, Dwayne, I need this prayer. I've got this job situation. It's going to be a promotion and we really need the money. I really need you to pray for me this. And we pray for God's will. And they go and they get this, this promotion. But now it seems like God is no longer involved in their lives. Nor is he invited to be. Pride says, I have arrived. I no longer have a need for God in my life. Notice in Proverbs 29 5, pride indulges in flattery. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. I'm sure you've been around people like this. In fact, I have found the perfect ad for people like this. Have a look at this video. It's all about me,
1: really. It is all about you. Now the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs all about you. My you. Yes. This amazing collection is great to share with friends if you have any. I ex-o-me. I ex-o-me. Everyone can join in the worship with you for you and about you. Because you are unique and you love you. There is none like me. No one else All this can do for only $19.95. Like Operators do. are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. And I am why I sing. And no Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME Or order online at me myself and Call today because no one can praise you like you
0: Now some of you may find that uh, funny which was sort of the intent and I hope you do find it funny Because you probably know people who actually may go and buy the cd In fact, I was looking around. I think some of you were reaching for your phones there just for a moment and say, Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But actually, some of you actually may uh, find that offensive. These are songs that you grew up with, Christian songs that you love. You sing this in worship. And now here's this guy behind the piano taking the, the name of God out of the songs that you love to sing and worship with, and he's replacing it with himself. And you may find that offensive. The reality is, this is exactly what prideful people do. They place themselves on the throne of their lives and they demand worship for themselves that belong to God. I love positive feedback. But if that's all I'm seeking, then I could fall into the trap of pride. I'm grateful when people come up and say they enjoy the message that I preach. And of course, after today, that's not going to happen because you don't want me to be prideful and you're looking out for me. So thanks for that appreciate that but if that's all i'm looking out for i could fall into the trap of pride and listen we we can all be susceptible to this i mean have a look at people who get unfriended on facebook or have a people that don't receive the number of likes they think they're deserving of i mean people go into deep depression they go into deep depression because of this they have to go to a doctor and get a pill or something i mean it's that bad People naturally want to hear good things that they do and they can become quite defensive when they receive negative feedback. And I must admit, I'm at the top of the list and I know that uh, constructive criticism is, is necessary but that don't mean we have to like to hear it. And my first reaction oftentimes is quite, you know, I've got to defend myself. But then I have to realize sometimes I have to step back and say, well, you know what, maybe we could do this better. And so... This leads to our next point. Pride prevents listening. In Jeremiah five twenty-one, it says, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Let me ask you, does that describe your spouse? <laughs> you open up the refrigerator. Honey, where's the mayonnaise? Right in front of you. Still don't see it. My wife's going to be quoting this verse to me. You have eyes and see not. <laughs> we have an over, when we have an overinflated view of ourselves, then what we have to say oftentimes is more important than what other people have to say. And people, these people like this, they're easily identified because when you start to have a conversation with them, you can't even finish your thought before an interruption comes with a comment or they go and, they, they go and change the subject to a, a topic that's more interested to them. You can see these people. Stephen Covey says, Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. This shows value to the other person. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 18:13: If anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. Oftentimes, whenever I'm talking to people with issues and things in their life, this is uh, the first verse I actually pull out. And I'll say, hey, listen, I need to hear from you before I can give you any, uh, any, any comments or, or any suggestions because I need to know where you're at. I need to know where you're coming from. I need to know what you're dealing with. And so it's important for me to understand and hear your side of things because I don't want it to be to my folly and my shame. And if the conversation puts them in a negative light, they especially don't want to hear it. And oftentimes, this can lead to stubbornness. In 1986, two ships collided off the coast of Russia in the Black Sea. Forty-three of the passengers lost their lives as they were thrown into the icy waters. A gaping hole in the side of the boat caused the boat to sink. Some reports say less than seven minutes and so they didn't even have time to release the lifeboats. A thorough investigation was done to determine the cause of the disaster, and they found out it wasn't technology, it wasn't a thick fog, it was in the middle of the night. It was actually human stubbornness and pride that caused the accident. You see, each captain could have steered clear from each other. In fact, they were exchanging Uh, uh, messages on the radio and they were encouraging each other to change course to change course to change course but neither one of them wanted to change course each one was too proud to yield and so they collided and a hundred passengers hundreds of passengers died as a result of that their lack of humility resulted in a disaster that could have been avoided both captains were actually charged with criminal neglect and they were sentenced to 15 years in prison because of their pride. Pride, like any sin, not only affects you, but also it affects those around you. 1 Peter 5, we see that pride will stop you from being one with another. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elder. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and give grace to the humble. Do you know somebody that really needs some help in their lives? And maybe you've gone and you've offered them help and assistance, but they sort of reject your help or they pretend like they don't have a problem, or, or maybe they can handle it on their own. People like this come to programs like Alcoholics Anonymous all the time. The first thing they do when you go to a place like Alcoholics Anonymous, you stand there and you look at the crowd and you say, Hi. My name is Dwayne, and I'm an alcoholic. Now, you know why they do that. Not only just to let people know who you are, but one of the reasons why the first thing they do this is because they want that person, they want that individual to understand that their name is not God. In my case, my name is Michael, and I must understand that this is not something that I can do on my own, that I'm going to need help, I'm going to need assistance with it. Michael challenged the church to do some acts of kindness in the past by handing out some gift cards to those who are in need. And I've heard some lovely stories of appreciation, and uh, uh, the people that I've given it to, they were very appreciative of the gift cards that, 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 that I had given to them. But also I heard a number of people that came to me and said, man, their people were really offended. I mean, they were offended by, by the kindness of, of giving a gift card, saying, hey, this is just to help you out a little bit. And, in fact, there were some that actually, they sit there, you know, for 10, 15 minutes talking about how bad their life is and all the needs they have in their life. And one of our members said, hey, you know what? Uh, Hey, let me help you out. And they go and pull it out. And then all of a sudden, they're offended. Why? It's because of pride. It's because of pride. And oftentimes, as a result of their pride, this may lead to isolation. And they want to stay away from others. And they don't want to be seen as weak. This is what pride looks like. But also, pride seeks revenge. In Proverbs 28, 25, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Are you finding that you just can't let go of hurt? You know, someone has done something wrong to you, and um, you must respond to ensure that they don't get away with it. There's a reason why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Pursuing revenge will destroy your life. It will consume you, especially when it comes to your relationships with your significant other. And this is why we talk so much about forgiveness when it comes to relationships. We have to learn to forgive each other, otherwise pride will raise its ugly head, and in doing so, it will rip your relationships apart. Pride also affects our purchases. In 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things that are in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you feel like every time your friends get the latest and greatest toy, well, you get the itch, and you've got to get the latest and greatest as well? Because you don't want them to get ahead of you. It's almost like a competition. You don't want them to get, get ahead of you? I mean, I, I must admit, I struggle with this sometimes. Every time I walk through the parking lot and I see all those 4x4s out there, my heart skips a beat. Oh, I'd love to have a 4x4 truck. And sometimes I, as I'm standing out there and, and I'm looking at your vehicle, I could imagine myself driving it on the beach, on the hills. So if you go out after church one day and you see all the drool marks on the side of your... Just ignore it. A person, a pride, must be seen having the latest and greatest. Pride also takes away from God's glory. In 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. You see that? We are to do all for the glory of God. This is probably one of the greatest dangers regarding pride. God has created you for Him, not the other way around. We are to do His will, not for Him to bow down to our will. You see, Satan required worship in an attempt to take away the glory of God that should have been directed to him. And as a result, he will spend eternity in hell. With his angels. Listen, the biggest difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. God doesn't think he's you. You see, pretending we are God is the core of pride. And pride can destroy your life, it can destroy your relationships with God as well as with others. So, as you see, pride is a horrible thing. So we spent some time talking about pride this morning. So I want to end on a good note. So let's talk about humility. I want to contrast pride, the mankind, with the humility of Christ. First of all, we need to define what humility is. Humility means to bring low. Uh, humility, uh, therefore, is the opposite of the pride of, of the attitude of pride. Uh, it is a, it is not sort of a, a self depreciating sort of thing. Uh, humility is basically just living in the truth about ourselves. And the truth is, is I'm not God. I'm not the center of my universe. I have needs. I have things that I cannot control. I am dependent upon God, and I'm not greater than anyone else. That's humility. So let's look at the event that took place in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, we see humility determined. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus, asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house... And reclined at table. Now, understand that the Pharisees were not friends with Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, they, they made Jesus their enemy. They wanted to destroy his ministry and rid themselves of him because Jesus continued to challenge them and their thinking and what they were doing and then their actions. And they didn't like to be challenged in that way. And in the previous chapter, it tells us what their motive is. In Luke chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Do you see that? They're looking for an opportunity to accuse him, to discredit him. So I suspect Simon invited Jesus over, not because he wanted to be friends with Jesus, but he was looking for an opportunity to find fault with him. And Jesus was aware of this. He knew this guy's heart. He knew Simon's heart. But despite that, notice this, Jesus was determined to show humility, and he accepted the invitation. And as a result of him accepting this invitation, he was actually able to teach us what humility looks like. Showing humility is a decision that we make even when dealing with those that may not like us, including our spouse. And in verse 37, we see humility delivered. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of ointments, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointments. Now when the Pharisees, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Here we not only see the humility of Christ to allow this woman to come near him and also uh, to touch him, But also we have the humility of this woman to offer such a sacrifice. They wore sandals back in those days. So anytime you go for a walk, your feet would get dirty. So this woman used her tears and her hair to clean the feet of Jesus. And on top of that, poured out some expensive ointment on his feet. Remember, this this is the same feet that in a few minutes, they're going to walk right outside and they're going to get dirty again as soon as he walks out the door. And so one would look at this and probably think, this is a waste. I mean, generally, the ointment was reserved for the head and the hair, not the feet. But what is more impressive is that Jesus allowed this sort of woman, a known sinner, to come and touch him because of the fact she was considered unclean in that culture. And in verse 40, we see humility discovered. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said unto him, You have judged rightly. Though this woman may have been accused of more wrongdoing than this religious leader, she received and displayed a greater humility. Oftentimes, those who have a greater sinful past experience a sense of greater humility when they understand what Christ has done for them and how Christ sacrificed in order to save them. When we understand what Christ has done for us, it should cause us to humble ourselves before Him. In verse forty-four, we see humility demonstrated. Then, turning towards a woman, he said to Simon, "Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wept. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me a you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil." But she has anointed my feet with ointments. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were with him at the table began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus explains to Simon what humility looks like. The washing of the feet was part of the custom of that day, and it was standard to wash the guests' feet before they entered into the house. Simon wouldn't even provide the basic act of cultural etiquette. And this was why I questioned his motives in the first place. This woman has come into the house that was even hers and offered a service that wasn't even her responsibility. It was Simon's responsibility. In fact, she went beyond the normal services that, that people usually do and she shed her tears to wipe his feet and used her hair to clean his feet. And then to top it off, she applied some exp- expensive ointment on his feet. Ointment, which Simon never once offered to Jesus. It is customary to greet your guest with a kiss, much like we do when we shake hands. It's a proper thing to do. But Simon refused to offer a kiss to Jesus, but this woman was kissing Jesus' dirty feet continually. In fact, I was um, taking a class right now on, on um, uh, introduction to the New Testament, and this guy actually talks about this. And he says, because of the fact that Simon did not offer Jesus any of those things that were customary to do, This was an act of publicly shaming him, especially when there were other guests in the house. And so this is exactly what Simon was doing. He was publicly shaming Jesus. Here we see the contrast between someone who is full of pride and someone who has a spirit of humility. Though she was a greater sinner because of her humility, she experienced saving faith and her sins were forgiven. Now, you may say, hey, Dwayne, that's a great story, but what in the world does that have to do with Love Dare? Well, it has everything to do with the Love Dare series because one of the greatest destroyer of relationships is pride. If you're selfish in your relationship, it's pride. If you're unforgiving in your relationship, it's pride. If you're uncaring in your relationship, it's pride. Pride will rip your relationships apart. Pride is at the root of all the decisions that you make that will break down your relationships. And this is why the Bible compares our marriage to Christ and the church. It instructs husbands that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and notice this, and gave himself for her. If we can exercise just a little bit of humility in our relationships, then many of the conflicts that tear relationships apart will never get a foothold. And as you go out this week and evaluate your relationships and your motives, see if there are any areas where your ugly pride has a tendency to raise its head. And you might consider going to your spouse and humbling yourself before them and asking forgiveness. Think of ways that you can show humility to your spouse over the next few weeks. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Humility is not grace that can be acquired in a few months. It's not something you can just turn on and turn off. It is a work of a lifetime. It is, something that hap- it is not something that happens overnight. We must continually work on it because there are two natures within us, and we are battling those natures between us. But with God's help, you can do this. Dwight Moody I love what he said. He says, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. I like that. Only humility will get you out of what pride got you into. So let's not be full of ourselves, but allow God to work through us and to humble our spirits so that people can see his love in us. Pride comes before the fall but humility is an act of love.